0: Well, hello. My name is Angel Wood, and this is Crime of the Truest Kind. Well, I am dropping a surprise. Episode of Crime of the Truest Kind today. It is September 11th, 2021. You live under a rock if you haven't seen any coverage about the 20th anniversary of September 11th. I was thinking a lot about it. I spent some time in New York this past week. It's been on my mind quite a lot. I have my own experience, as we all do, but it pales in comparison to what so many families suffered that day and the days and weeks after months and years. Families are still suffering to this day as a result of what happened on September eleventh, two thousand one. The show remains on hiatus. It will be back. October is the target return date. October 1st does mark the first anniversary of the first episode of Crime of the Truest Kind featuring the departed Wadi Baljaw. This is a very impromptu episode, so it's gonna be a little rougher and a little bit more raw. I've been thinking about a lot of my own experiences as a radio broadcaster during this time, and most definitely the impact that September 11th, 2001, had on Boston. This day is one that left an indelible mark. We say never forget like it's a tagline, but the fact is... If you were alive and aware of the events that day and the days that followed, it's impossible to wipe it from your memory. Now for a lot of younger kids, September 11th to them will be like Pearl Harbor is to us. We feel like we're so many years removed from the catastrophic events that happened in Hawaii on that day in 1941. I wasn't alive. It's unfathomable to me to think about what happened, and people who were young and aware of what happened on Pearl Harbor, well, some of them are gone. I watch all the shows and movies and documentaries trying to understand what can't be understood. It is difficult for some to tolerate others' reflections about that day, I know, you know, if they weren't directly involved. As in, in one of the buildings at the time, or saw a plane hit, or been in direct vicinity of the carnage, or more importantly, lost someone dear to them. I get it. But as many of you know who listen, those feelings are yours, and they are all completely legitimate. As are the feelings and experiences of anyone who suffered trauma as a result of September 11th, 2021, in the days and weeks and months that followed. And yes, lots of us have the privilege of safety and witness the event secondhand by watching it only on television. I haven't really spoken about my experiences in radio from that time. I did share it in an interview once for a documentary about WFNX, the radio station that I was with at the time and is pretty well known and revered in the national alternative rock radio world it has long been gone the documentary wasn't about any of that so it didn't make the final cut but i never expected it to and i am sure and i am sure that i seriously bummed out that filmmaker that day being a radio broadcaster on that day and the days and weeks that followed was something none of us were prepared for Talking to people in full panic and rage and sorrow and pain changes you forever. No, I wasn't in a plane or in a tower or in New York City or lost anyone close to me. So if that's a deal breaker for you, that's okay. Move along. On the morning of Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, I was on my way to the radio station, WFNX, that I had been working for for about four years at the time. I was hosting the midday show there. And as I was driving in, I had Howard Stern on the radio. I wasn't listening to the morning show of the radio station I worked for. I was a Howard fan. And many of you know who are also Howard fans or have heard the story since. It all played out right there because he was in New York. You know, Robin first reported that it looked like a small engine plane had hit one of the towers. And there was a great deal of confusion. I want to say his guest that morning was Pamela Anderson. I don't remember, and I didn't look it up, so it's merely a guess. But even Howard, the king of all media, was thoroughly confused as to what was going on. So at that point, me, driving in my car to go work at my radio station, I'm trying to take notes about the things that I'm hearing on Howard's show, thinking that I was somehow going to contribute to what was about to happen. Well... We had no idea what we were in for. I will never forget where I was when the news came in. On this one stretch of road on 128 in Wilburn, Massachusetts. The morning show stayed on to cover breaking news and to try to make sense of the minute-to-minute events. While myself and others made frantic calls to town and city and state officials, we tried to contact anyone we could think of. The Red Cross, various news outlets, even CNN, no one was answering. If someone did, they had nothing to offer. The world as we knew it had stopped. Now, this is pre televisions in every single radio studio. Back in those days, we got national audio and wire feeds that came in from the major networks. And it was just really a lot of panicked news reporters. But we hadn't really seen the images of what was unfolding. Remember, we didn't have any TVs in there. So someone at FNX. This shitty, dingy little radio station located across from the train in Lynn, Massachusetts. Somebody dug out an old, like, black and white TV. And I think we were, you know, moving the antennas around to try to get some picture. We didn't do a very good job. And our program director at the time was at home and called into the morning show and was giving them a play-by-play for whatever he was seeing on Good Morning America or something like that. Yeah, real hard news. I was eventually on air much later into the afternoon after it became quite clear to us that civilization as we knew it up until that point had gone crazy. In the days and weeks that followed, people were unhinged. Now, this is a time back in 2001 where radio was still live, listeners still communicated with you and kept in touch through phone calls and emails. Oh, and people were calling the radio station. We were all sad. We were all in mourning. And so many people were losing it. Having been on the radio every day, I fielded calls urging me to tell people not to overreact or not to beat up people that looked like they were from the Middle East. They were being harassed and attacked I got a lot of requests for killing an Arab by the cure. There was a lot of hate that grew from that. I got calls from girls pleading with me to tell their boyfriends not to join the military. It was beyond heavy. I don't have any of this audio, and I would never play it. We just didn't know what to do with it. It took me years to be able to articulate anything regarding the events of that day, or what I dealt with after it. And it wasn't until later that night that I actually saw clear images of what everyone was glued to all day. And for that, there are no words. I will never allow myself to not feel the enormity of that day. It was as powerful as it was horrible. And I will remember and we should remember. Now as the years go on, here we are 20 years in. And it will very much turn for our children like Pearl Harbor became for us. We were so removed from it's happening that it was sort of like uh, an old tale. I by no means intend to dismiss anything that happened during Pearl Harbor in 1941. In the events of World War I and World War II, oh, and all of our wars were catastrophic. Now, all these years later, I still look at the news pages. I still study the photos and the flight plans And think of those people and what it must have been like. I remember going in to elevators and skyscrapers in cities right after 9-11. And I remember pushing the button for my floor and thinking about those people who got on an elevator. And they had left clothes in the dryer thinking, ah, I'll fold them when I come home. That person who had a grocery list in their pocket of things they were going to pick up on the way home. You know, or a plan that they had made with their kid about something they were going to do that weekend. Things that they never got to do. They didn't get to say goodbye to someone they loved. All of these things run through my mind. Still, even to this day, even to this day, I think about that dad who kissed his kid goodbye before a business trip out west, a dad who never dreamed it would be the last time. All those people who routinely climbed up those floors in those two towers in New York and died there. I think of them and I think of their families. I think I have a better time articulating it now, 20 years later, but I recall being on air on the first anniversary of 9-11, so it would be 9-11, 2002, and I simply couldn't put it into words. I'm quite sure I was fumbling and mumbling about it. By this time, I was part of the WFNX morning show It morphed into something else, and it was a cast of misfits. It took some time for me to deal with it. And, you know, a lot of us in radio never discussed it. I've never brought it up with other people in radio to see what their experiences were like, to ask them how unprepared and ill-equipped they were and how jarring it might have been or would be for us. Now, again, I am not making this into some catastrophic disaster that I went through because any of my minor experiences pales in comparison to what happened to these people who were murdered in buildings and on airplanes. And everything that came after that, remember, we were sent into war. September 11th is catastrophic for New York City, for sure, in Washington, D.C., no doubt. But Boston has a very strong connection to that day. Two of the four planes came from Logan Airport. Tuesday morning business travelers, most of whom were locals. American Airlines Flight 11, Boston to Los Angeles nonstop, fully fueled. Captain John Ogonowski, First Officer Thomas McGinnis piloted the Boeing 767. Full capacity, nine flight attendants, 81 passengers boarded the flight, including five terrorists. At 7.46, one minute behind schedule, Flight 11 was cleared to taxi and took off at 7.59. Given all the evidence, it is believed that the hijacking of Flight 11 took place at 8.14 a.m. Information available in the 9.11 Commission Report that is public and linked at crimeofthetruestkind.com. Reports from two flight attendants in coach, Betty Ong and Madeline Amy Sweeney, Tell us most of what we learned about the hijacking. As it began, some of the hijackers who were seated in row two in first class stabbed two unarmed flight attendants who have been preparing for cabin service. I will not name the hijackers. You've heard enough about them. And if you want to learn about them, by all means, Google them. We do not know exactly how the hijackers gained access into the cockpit. FAA rules required the doors remain closed and locked during flight. Betty Ong speculated that they had jammed their way in. Perhaps the terrorists stabbed the flight attendants to get a cockpit key. Maybe they forced one of them to open the door, or to lure the captain or first officer out of the cockpit. At 8.45 a.m. on a clear Tuesday morning, American Airlines Flight 11 a loaded Boeing 767 with 20,000 gallons of jet fuel crashed into the north tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. We didn't know exactly what was happening at first. We were about to find out. Of the 92 people on board, including the hijackers, eight of the 11 crew members and 47 of the passengers on board were from Massachusetts. They came from all over, Danvers, Marston Mills, Winthrop, Drake, Andover, Longmeadow, Westport, Acton, Stoneham, Charlestown, Brookline, Wellesley, Abington, Worcester, Winchester, Wakefield, Peabody, Newton, Concord, Belmont, Tewksbury, Westboro, Needham, Amesbury, Belmont, Sudbury, Newton, Cambridge, Bedford, Westboro, Framingham, Peabody, Charlestown, Westford, Boston, Belmont, East Boston, Framingham, Andover, Haverhill, Dover, Needham, Acton, Newton, Bill Ricca, Everett. Methuen, Hopkinton. U.S. Airlines Flight 175 was scheduled to depart for Los Angeles from Boston at 8 a.m. Captain Victor Saracini and First Officer Michael Horrocks piloted that Boeing 767. United 175 pushed back from its gate at 7.58 a.m. and departed Logan Airport at 8.14. United 175 had taken off just as American 11 was being hijacked. The hijackers attacked sometime between 8.42 a.m. and 8.46. They used knives, as reported by two passengers and a flight attendant. Mace, which was reported by one passenger. And the threat of a bomb, reported by that same passenger. They stabbed members of the flight crew. Both pilots had been killed. And eyewitness accounts came from calls made from the rear of the plane from passengers originally seated further forward in the cabin. Given the reports the tactics and weaponry of the hijackers were almost most identical. Passengers on board the flight were calling home, reaching out to family members. It was a desperate situation. I can't imagine the fear and terror on board that plane and on the other end of the phone when their loved ones answered early that morning. At 8.58... The flight took a heading toward New York City. Flight 175 Boston to Los Angeles struck the South Tower at 9.03 a.m. while the whole world was watching. Of the 58 people on board, 26 were from Massachusetts. Linfield, West Newton, Boston, Wellesley, Turner Falls, Norwell, Attleboro, Sudbury, Methuen, Easton, Groton, Westford Milford Swampscott, Manchester by the Sea Lowell, Revere, Wellesley Marblehead, Hudson, Wayland, Barnstable I believe that Boston and the region has some sort of collective guilt because those two planes that hit the world trade towers came from Boston. But in hindsight we know so much we would have done that, we should have done that we could have done that. How, how would we know? Was there anything we could have done? I I don't know. Flight 77, the plane that hit the Pentagon, took off from Dallas Airport en route to Los Angeles with 64 passengers on board. The 9/11 Commission estimated that the flight was hijacked between 8:51 and 8:54, shortly after American Airlines Flight 11 struck the North Tower and not very long after Flight 175 had been hijacked. Unlike the other three flights, there were no reports of anyone being stabbed or a bomb threat, and the pilots were possibly not immediately killed, but herded to the back of the plane with the other passengers. At 8.54, as the plane flew in the vicinity over Pike County, Ohio, it began to deviate from its normal assigned flight path and turned south. Two minutes later, 8.56, the plane's transponder was turned off, at which time the hijacker set the autopilot on a course heading toward Washington, D.C. Two people made calls. At 9.12, flight attendant Renee May called her mother, Nancy, in Las Vegas. During the two-minute call, she asked her mother to contact American Airlines, which she promptly did. However, American Airlines was already aware of the hijacking. Shortly after 9 a.m., Indianapolis Center started notifying other agencies that American 77 was missing. American 77 traveled undetected for 36 minutes on a course heading due east for Washington, D.C. Northeast Defense Sector, or NEEDS, was alerted at 9.36 about the unidentified aircraft a few miles from the White House. Langley fighters were ordered to Washington, D.C., In fact, Needs was notified after the first plane became unresponsive at 8.38. At 8.46, fighters at Otis Air Force Base in Sandwich, Massachusetts were scrambling. Flight 11 had been flown into the first tower at 8.46 and 40 seconds. There was a military response, and the 9-11 commission report spells it out. An airplane was detected again by Dallas controllers on radar screens as it approached Washington, turning and descending rapidly. Flight 77, flying at 530 miles per hour near Arlington National Cemetery, slammed into the western wall of the Pentagon at 9:37 and 46 seconds. Fighter jets coming from Langley Air Force Base were 150 miles away. Air traffic controllers were facing yet another problem that day. The fourth hijacked plane, Flight 93. Though it was highly probable in the chaos of the day that more flights would be hijacked, all air traffic was grounded. Controllers were on red alert, and fighters were in the air. Flight 93 crashed near Shanksville, Pennsylvania because of the selfless passengers who teamed up to get the plane out of the hands of the hijackers who'd taken over 40 minutes into their Newark-to-San Francisco flight. Because of heavy traffic that morning, their flight was delayed by 25 minutes. And it was because of this that the passengers on board learned of the events of New York and Washington via their calls to the ground. There was no Twitter, no Facebook. No cell phones as we know them then. Flight 93 had only 40 passengers on board that was far below their capacity of 182. It turned out that there were no other hijacked planes that day. The events of 9-11 instilled a great deal of fear in people. People were afraid to fly, afraid to go in elevators and tall buildings. It's also believed that Flight 93 was headed toward the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Other theories exist that it was headed for the White House. This incomprehensible day, September 11th, 2001, 20 years ago. A reported total of 2,996 people were killed in the 9 11 attacks, including the 19 hijackers, obviously. Citizens of 78 countries died in New York, Washington, D.C., and in that field in Pennsylvania. At the World Trade Center, 2,763 reportedly died after the two planes slammed into the Twin Towers. That figure includes 343 firefighters and paramedics, 23 New York City police officers, 37 Port Authority officers who were struggling to complete an evacuation of the buildings. There are definitely more fatalities as a result of that day. At the Pentagon, 189 people were killed, including 64 aboard American Airlines Flight 77. On Flight 93, 44 people died when the plane crash-landed in Pennsylvania. Untold are the stories of families and the residual effects, the men and women on the front lines working day after day in the recovery efforts, medical workers, doctors and nurses, the untold stories of survival, the people who were left behind, the people who got out of those buildings, the people who were dug out of the rubble and the four-legged heroes who worked tirelessly at Ground Zero in the days that followed. Never forget them. To borrow a quote from Franklin Roosevelt's in the early afternoon of December 7th, 1941, September 11th, 2001, is a day that will live in infamy. Thank you for listening. So yes, today was a surprise episode. I wasn't planning on putting out an episode yet. I've been very busy. But it was on my mind and I wanted to share something with you. So I welcome your comments and your feedback and your emails and your direct messages. Follow the show Crime of the Truest Kind: Linked. Everything is linked on the website, the merch page, all of the episodes, How to get in touch follow the socials, subscribe. Oh, and please rate and review. Please rate and review. I owe you a drawing. August was listener appreciation month and someone's going to win a super duper prize pack. So be on the lookout for that. Keep safe. Be well. Take care. And until next time, lock your goddamn doors.